Welcome to the Mr. Bill Podcast. I'm his manager, Anand Harsh, and designated intro guy. I'm the used car salesman of the podcast. What do I have to do to get you into a technically proficient Australian IDM producer today? This bad boy can fit so many Ableton tutorials inside of it. Chances are you already know Bill's guest. He's got legendary drummer and producer KJ Saka on the show. KJ has been the drummer for Pendulum and the supergroup Destroyed with Excision and Downlink. He's done Ill Gates versus KJ Saka live shows. And about five years ago, he went on the road with Bill for select dates. There are probably some of you out there who saw those super insane shows. I do want to note that we had some difficulty with KJ's audio recording, so we had to use the Zoom feed on his end, so just bear in mind that the quality's not quite where we like it to be for the show, um, but that's life in these remote episode recording times. Please continue to subscribe to the Mr. Bill Patreon, that's helping us keep the show going, and uh, make sure Robert doesn't walk into traffic when he has to deal with audio issues like we had on this episode. If you have any questions about the perks, or if you're needing to communicate a question about your tier, please send us a message on the platform, uh, because you're financially tied to us now. Suddenly we're like really good about prioritizing your needs on there. And remember to go to MrBillsTunes.com to sign up as a hardcore Abletoneer. You know that uh, feeling when you make something and you listen back and you think, oh, this is, this is not good. Uh, Bill can help you with that. Okay, let's get to the episode with KJ Saka. Hey, you're listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you're listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you are listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you're 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 listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Fuck yeah, man. Well, yeah, thanks for coming on, on the podcast. I appreciate it. It's no problem. It's been a while since I've heard your voice. Yeah, same. Yeah, sorry, I, I didn't... Uh, hold on, I'm going to turn my mic down a bit. Sorry, I, I couldn't do the um the podcast last week. I slept in. <laughs> That's okay. Well, I mean, you need your sleep, you know? <laughs> yeah, I feel like this is a rec- like a recurring problem in my life. I feel like I've... And this might like resonate with some of the people listening... I just have slept through so many events in my life, like just completely missed shit because I was just like, was just like, I don't know, I just went to bed too late the night before or just like woke up and was like, fuck it and just went back to sleep and like, (laughs) it's, it's the worst quality of mine, maybe. (laughs) Well, do you have an alarm set or what? I do. Yeah. But quite often I'll wake up and if it's too early, I'll be like, ah, yesterday Bill is dumb. Today Bill knows what he's doing. <laughs> and then I just go back to sleep. <laughs> Dude, have you ever have you ever slept so late um, that you've like missed a flight to a show or something? I've done that just once. Um, yeah, me too. Yeah. So I thought I was going to miss a flight where I woke up at like, I don't know, like two hours after I was supposed to wake up. And I was like running around, you know, like, to anxiety level on freaking 10 i'm like oh my god I'm, I'm gonna it's like a flight to the east coast from seattle i have like two flights to catch and i miraculously made it actually which was surprising because i usually give myself 
quite a bit of time, like t- three hours and then like hour and a half to two hours <clears throat> before the flight leaves. But one time I had a flight to South Korea <laughs> and the ticket was in 24 hour time. And it said I was leaving at like one or something like that. And for so long, I thought it was going to be 1 p.m. until the day I had to leave. I woke up in the middle of the night. I'm like, I think something's wrong. And then so I woke up at like 7 a.m. And, and I look at my ticket. And I'm like, I just missed my flight because it was at 1 in the morning, <laughs> previous night. Uh, and that really, really sucked because I had to buy a brand new flight myself. Oh, it was to South Korea. Yeah, I had to buy oh, a one-way it sucked. Yeah, that does suck. Yeah, so the one that I missed was from Denver to New York. So it wasn't too bad. But I, I woke up. Um, I even, I knew what time I had to leave and everything. And I like set an alarm and everything the night before. And then I just slept through my alarm basically because I'm just such a sleepy head. And then I just woke up and was like, oh, fuck. And then I called my agent and was like, uh, missed the missed the flight. And um, he was like, all right, well, you can't miss the show. So we have to buy you another flight. So... <laughs> So, uh, yeah, how to do that. That's the thing. Yeah, I, I, was, I was talking to my liaison um, right away uh, on the South Korea uh, gig. And she's like, you have to buy another flight right now. You can't miss the gig. Because mm-hmm. um, previous, the previous year, uh, there was a, a, an unfortunate situation where I couldn't make the gig. So <laughs> it was going to be a double whammy. I'm like, oh, my God, I have to make this, fl- this flight. I have to make this gig. Um, otherwise it looks like a complete schmuck. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, I sh- we should probably introduce who you are, because uh, most of the people listening probably already know who you are, but just to like reiterate, um, you're a drummer, you drum for Pendulum and Destroyed, and you also produce your own music. Uh, and what else are you doing? Um, that's right. I do, I do all those things. Um, I make loop and sample packs, um, out of my drums um for producers like tools for producers and you also have one of those on ableton right or maybe two of those i've got two of those now yeah (laughs) 10 over 10 years ago um i put out mad beats which was a free pack you can download you can still download it and um and you know it's one of those free packs that you can get on on the ableton site if you scroll down far enough you can find a bunch of free great stuff um and there's my mug on one of those packs and people still use that pack today. Um, but I started off as drummer and I got into production. Um, I think the sole, re- there's two reasons. I wanted to recreate the, the actual beats that I was hearing on the records. I'm like, okay, there's, they're chopping it up there. It sounds like there's a sheet on the drums, it's, which is like the compression, you know, um, and, or a towel or a piece of paper or something like that. So that's when I started experimenting. And then I realized that, you know, I'm a musical minded person. So, creating melodies and bass lines and stuff wasn't the the most difficult thing after already having a kind of a, a rhythmic background, rhythmic mind. Right. Yeah. I feel like with music, like a lot of it is, um, <clears throat> if you just listen to enough music or whatever, eventually you just kind of get to a point where like you just hear uh, like doing the right thing for you to make something that you enjoy in a piece of music just doesn't seem that tough. Yeah. I mean, it all depends. Like there's some really great music curators out there who are um, managers and booking agents and writers and things like that that have no musical talent uh, whatsoever or aspirations. Um, But some of those people 
when they do kind of switch over to to whether it just be curating a playlist um, or actually diving into some production, um, some of them surprisingly do really, really well because they just have that acute tuned ear. Right. Um, how has stuff been for you like during the, the whole pandemic? Because I mean, mostly what you were doing before is like shows and stuff as well, right? Um, and then... You know, having to obviously not do shows anymore. How's how's that affected you? As with most people who gig a lot, like literally <laughs> overnight, just all the shows were gone, and that oh. was the rug was swept from underneath uh, all of us, and that was quite a shock. Um, but since I put out my first couple packs uh, uh, ten years ago, that's kind of been supplemental to to me as a professional. Um, in the music business and um, touring is is a really important part of my life, especially as a drummer, as a player. Um, a lot of drummers, they have the hashtag just want to play or all I want to do is play or drums, 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 as Travis Barker says. And it really <laughs> is true. Um, we just want to beat. <laughs> you just want to. <laughs> nice. <laughs> And there's nothing like shows, playing shows, uh, bleeding and sweating on our musical instrument. Even rehearsals and things, usually drummers are kind of the first ones there and they really enjoy it, getting the songs right and things. Um, and it, it's quite a bit different being a drummer versus just being a producer. I'm always itching to go on my kit and play. I guess it's a really good thing, you know, for for keeping up with my talent and, um, or trying to keep, trying to have talent and, and stay current and, <laughs> and, um, play parts, you know, that's trying to make them sound good and everything. Like, I guess, um, cause you could easily become a sloppy player. I've seen it time and time again, um, with some of my heroes and, and other, other musicians in really right. It's like they they, they kind of get to a point and think like, all right, I've got that skill now, and then they sort of lay off the practice a bit and then get a little bit sloppy. Oh, big time! One of the biggest battle bands of all time. Probably won't say his name, but the drummer is is that way. I went to I've been to countless shows, and I'm like, oh my god, their drums like they sound really good. The engineer is crushing it, mm -hmm. but his beats are so freaking bad. His timing is unreal. Um, it's just, he just doesn't practice and, and that's it. So I'm like, okay, I'm not going to be like that. Um, but he's one of my heroes of all time. And right. so I'll still go see that band because they're <clears> such <throat> a legendary band. Um, he's probably, will never hear this podcast, so it probably doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. I think I know who you're talking about. <laughs> um, still a legend though. Oh, for sure. Huge influence on me. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I kind of. I'm that way with guitar, right? Like when I was younger, I was playing so much guitar and like, I, I think I, I got to a point um, where I would watch anyone play on the internet and be like, oh yeah, I can play that and just like pretty much instantly play it. Um, and I pretty much got to the point where like the only people that I would watch that would actually like impress me were just like the crazy, crazy virtuoso guys like, you know, Joe Satriani or Steve Vai or Ingwi Malmsteen and shit like that. Um, but I haven't played for so long because <clears throat> I've just been into producing so much. And then I started like during this whole 
pandemic thing, I was like, oh, maybe I'll get back into guitar. And then I set it up and like started playing the other day and fuck, man, I suck. I'm so bad at guitar now. It's like my brain is still like able to think of the things that I want to do sort of, but it's just not able to like, like the muscle memory is just like half as good as it was if that. And it's just like not translating from my brain to my fingers and hands as uh, how it used to. Mm. You can get that back. Uh, in my opinion, I've seen a lot of players do that same thing. I mean, let's face it, it's not easy to, to, especially as we get older, to wake up and have this crazy practice regimen where we're like, okay, just like when I was 12 years old, I'm going to practice for four hours. Practicing for four hours these days um, is not really the most easy thing to do. Phone's buzzing off. You got to eat more often. You're, you, you know, when you're a kid, you're not thinking about anything. You're so into it, into the zone. I guess we're like that with producing too, you know, where mm. when we do a 12, eight to 12 hour session, we're totally in it. Like, oh crap, I forgot to eat. Um, and you just don't think about it. And then just like you, you know, like you were saying, you might stay up really, really late till five or six and you're supposed to wake up at like seven or nine or something like that the next it day. It's like fucks you a whole next day. <laughs> yeah true um what so have you um, i'm assuming you've been playing a lot of drums during covid stuff i have and i've been trying to produce as much as i can to about one solid day a week but i've been having so many just just drum projects um for multiple people multiple bands um, multiple collabs um, where I'm just contributing my drum parts as opposed to adding bass lines and melodies and things. Mm. And it's nice actually to do that because I just put on the drum hat. And of course I have my producer hat on too, because once I play the drums, then I, you know, and I record them now I got to make them sound good. Um, and, uh, it's been a real a nice thing to get back on the drums and have some sort of drum project almost every single day. Um, feels really good. So that's been the big change, I guess, since COVID. Right. Cause I mean, kind of like a lot of the production stuff you're doing was to play shows, right? Cause it, it seems like that's sort of what I was doing a lot. Um, ramping up to the start of this was pretty much just throughout the week. I was just trying to write, uh, bangers and then on the weekend going and playing them. And it, I wasn't really like working on a lot of album material. I wasn't working on a lot of like, you know, IDM or glitch stuff anymore. I was mostly just working on dubstep and, you know, sort of like glitchy glitch step stuff, like EPROM style stuff and whatnot. Um, yeah. So, so I found uh, since having no shows there, it's like the, my, my whole production style has changed a lot in terms of just like, it seems like this big pressure has been lifted to not have to, grind out because the other thing is like set prep right like if you have sets every weekend it's not like you can just write music the whole week and then go play like you need to dedicate at least a day to preparing your set as well to like make sure you work in all the new material make sure all of your mixes that didn't work last week are going to work better this week and like all that kind of stuff so I, I think people don't realize that as well that like actually building sets to play on the weekend takes a few days out of your week absolutely and if you're rammed with a big tour schedule that's all you could be doing for, for months. Um, sometimes it's hard to get the studio time in on brand new tunes. I like what you said about your, your production style is changing. Um, and going back to maybe, maybe your roots before you started touring heavily. 
that's what's been happening with me too. Like I haven't produced very much drum and bass. Um, I produced a lot of drum and bass in my life, but I haven't really released a whole ton of drum and bass because when I got into dubstep, um, when Pendulum kind of slowed down on touring and took a break, Destroyed started up. And I'm like, oh, I guess everybody likes dubstep. People like house music. Not a lot of people are really into drum and bass. And so I kind of slowed down on, on producing it. I, 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 I kept up on playing it because it's really fun. And I get to play some slower like break beats and things like that at 150 if I'm doing some sort of dubstep thing. Um, but I haven't played or produced drum and bass like this since 10 years ago. And it feels really, really good, actually. Nice. Um, and the drum and bass you're producing is more like you on the kit and then like some light production stuff around it in Ableton or? Yeah, exactly. Um, a lot of it's the the major stuff that I'm working on is, is collaborations. And so some of the other guys, that the other collaborators will be doing the majority of the music. But I have a bunch of solo drum and bass as well. Um, and, you know, I was kind of doing, I guess, kind of destroyed style drum and bass, almost really huge snares and really growly basses. And now I'm really enjoying the more sophisticated drum and bass, the neuro stuff. Um, I've been putting out a ton of drum covers and of older stuff and newer stuff and, and some real basic kind of older sound design to, to some really new new sounding more neuro stuff and i think it's still a really strong style and genre and of course it's all it's been that genre where you know the producers look up to to anybody who plays who or who produces drum and bass kind of like the jazz just saw a comment like that today isn't drum and bass kind of like the jazz of electronic music i'm like yeah in many in many ways <laughs> i i would disagree i mean i think um <clears throat> drum and bass is in in some ways maybe more like the punk of electronic music i guess maybe not because drum and bass is produced super well and punk is like intentionally not produced super well um but i would say like uh like idm is jazzier in general i was i would think i mean definitely um there's no question that it's very sophisticated i guess there yeah there was idm when i was idm and Drum and bass is pretty much what I grew up on. Um, I kind of shied away yeah. from the more popular styles. They have a lot of crossover too, right? Like a lot of like Venetian snares and Aphex Twin and Square Pusher and stuff. You could almost throw in the drum and bass, breakcore and IDM categories all at the same time kind of thing. I guess you're right. Yeah. And then it seems that I guess drum and bass kind of took a turn into more of the more simpler route, possibly with more of the NDC style and... But then Noisia really took, you know, they had a, they had the option to do that, go more pendulum route. But then they really went to the more IDM route, and what a great choice, I think, because mm. they just stuck in their lane. They stayed, and you know, they might not have got as many followers, as played it, headlined as many big shows, or whatever. But none of that really matters in the end. I mean, you look at Noisia now, and they're so, so respected in the scene, mm. and their music is so sophisticated, and no one gives a crap what stage they're playing on or if they're headliner or not. People are going to go see them because they're respected. 
Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, I had this thought earlier when you said uh, you were doing like pendulum stuff, but then you noticed people were like in the the drum, uh, the dubstep stuff more. So you started doing that and so on and so forth. And I've kind of done the same. I mean, I was writing IDM a lot and then sort of towards the last couple of years of my career, I've mostly been making heavier shit that works better at shows. And I think it's just because I hit this point as an artist where I'm like, fuck, I've been doing this for like almost 10 years. I still don't have that many people coming to shows. And then there's these people who just got into making music like two years ago who have shitloads of people at their shows. And then I kind of like calculated it all in my head and was just like, it's pretty simple what it is. It's just the style of music that I make is more challenging for people to listen to because there's more shit going on and it's less uh, approachable in terms of like, you know, if you've never heard stuff like that before, you might think it's just weird and stupid and have troubles hearing where all the beats are supposed to fall and and stuff like that. Um, So I started making dubstep, but kind of on my own terms where I would still make it a little bit glitchy and stuff. But I think that that's something a lot of people don't really like uh, calculate properly, right? Because it's something that on the face of it, you can look at another artist. Like, you know, if I was a lay person who uh, had no experience at all in shows or production or anything like that, I could look at another artist, uh, say like Noisier, for example, right? Uh, If they had gone the pendulum route, um, you know, it might piss someone like me off and I might just be like, oh, what idiots. They should have gone the fucking more technical route, right? But on the artist side of things, it's not such an easy choice because it's like, yeah, sure, I could go the pendulum route and make, you know, money that way and play a lot of shows and do all the things or I could go the technical route and do what I love and, and all of that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, it's like you're literally making such a big compromise to like your quality of life and stuff like that by not doing the more popular thing, right? So an example might be like if I make IDME glitchy weird shit, I might gross like 20 grand a year, which is like minimum wage work. Or if I make the dubstep stuff, I might gross 80 grand a year, which is like a decent paying job. So it's kind of like you're making a fucking huge compromise as an artist to stick sometimes with that more challenging stuff. And I think that that's just something people don't realize is that if you're an artist... um, some of those decisions, you know, uh, are more, you know, decisions for your exterior stuff outside of your music career because, you know, being a pure artist is all good and well, but sometimes that that just doesn't pay the bills, right? Yeah, there's a lot of truth to what you're saying. Um, there, <laughs> a lot of artists do uh, come to that crossroads and kind of feel it like, hey, I could take the... the, the, the what Christians say that the mark of the beast, you know, like, should I dive into the pop world? Cause that's what everybody is. Uh, you know, you see those shows and they're sold out or whatever. There is something though with, with what you and I do and other people in our wheelhouse do. And I really feel that it's kind of special and unique and one of a kind. Um, and I'm not trying to say that I'm good at it by, by any means. I, I don't like to say things like that, but out of all the years I've been doing drum and bass on the drums, it's there's still very, very few people doing what I do. And I've come to terms that that, that is one of my strongest um, attributes and the thing that keeps the bread on the table and keeps me alive. Um, and it, And... I kind of go with it. And I think you kind of naturally go with that too. You have these, this crazy glitch, glitchy production. You go really, really deep 
And there's not a whole lot of people that do exactly what you do. You know, you found a lot of those artists and you put out uh, them on your label and things like that. And, you know, the Noisia podcast or, or, or the, the playlist, uh, I forget what that is, has a lot of really interesting, unique music that's similar to yours. But what you do as a whole is very unique. Um, and it might be a slower path to success to that, let's say, 80 grand versus the 20 grand kind of theory. But maybe in the end, we might be a little more satisfied with what we've done. Well, I think it's just, yeah, I think it's just finding a balance, right? Like I, I've got a lot of friends who um, have stuck with the IDM path. Well, not a lot of friends, a couple who have stuck with the IDM path for like 20 years, right? And they're still just sort of like, that's not their main job. Like their main job is still, you know, working in something else. And they just do music because they love it and they still enjoy putting out albums and <clears throat> they have a lot of fans on like, you know, they get a lot of sales on Bandcamp and shit like that, but it's still just not quite enough to sustain a full life of living and, and all of that kind of stuff. Um, so I guess, I don't know. I, I think what the point that I'm trying to make is that for the listeners listening, if you ever see an artist pivot in that way, maybe don't be like so hard on them, you know, because like it's a hard decision that they're, that they're making. I guess that's my point. That's a, that is a very valid point. The same with drum and bass and, and, and a lot of other styles. You know, there's so many guys that I look up to and, you know, they're still working at their, at their local grocery store or whatever, <clears throat> um, to, your, to your point exactly. Yeah, come on, guys, don't judge us so hard. We're just trying to freaking have to do this balancing act of life um uh, as a musician as a as dj and it could be challenging well yeah i think that's specifically why people get very confused about who i am as an artist right because i make dubstep i play dubstep shows i open for dubstep artists i put out dubstep eps but then every couple of years i'll put out an idm album and do a little short run of shows that are just me playing idm in like very small clubs and I think that confuses people because they're like, wait, I thought I was getting this, but now you're doing this. And then I also, you know, obviously run Belegal Beats, which is an IDM label um, and all of that kind of stuff. And the way that I look at it is it's kind of like dubstep is my my job, like that's work. And then the IDM is like my, that's my free time fun shit to do, you know. Um. <laughs> A lot of producers have, have the same mentality. Um there's plenty of producers that are like, I just want to play some drum and bass or I just want to make some crazy IDM stuff, um, not this cookie cutter stuff. And I think that's kind of, in essence, pop music as a whole. There's lots of pop writers who will go to their jazz club or come up with a jazz album just for the, the sake of, of the pure love for it. Um, but they might not necessarily play something like that um, on the main stage. Like technically, too, like as a drummer, we can play all these crazy fills and, and all these notes. But when we're backing up like the pop star, we're holding it all uh, and putting it and we're not unleashing it out of the bag. We're just holding it all in because what mm -hmm. is the most important thing? It's the melodies of the, that the singer is singing. Um, well, also, it's like um, <clears throat> this is something that's come up in the podcast a few times lately as well. Is that one cool thing in music is contrast, right? And it's like if you, if you're going nuts on the drums and the singer is like crooning their ass off and the bass player is also going ham and then everyone's going ham, it's like the music has no contrast at that point. It's just a bunch of people going ham. Whereas 
like if you're holding it together, the bass player is holding it together, the guitarist is holding it together, but then you have this fucking singer who is just like going nuts, who is just very, very good at like what she or he or they do. Um, I think that, you know, that, that gives the vocals that kind of backdrop contrast to kind of spotlight them, obviously. Well, that's what really, that's kind of the dividing line of a, uh, of a musician or producer who can really jump out and make a, a real career for themselves, I think. And sometimes that line is not so black or white. It's very, very blurry. Um, but finding, I don't know, I think any, I think a lot of music that's very rhythmically or uh, rhythmically challenging or, or um, melodically challenging can hit the masses in a certain way. Maybe the masses is not 10 million, but maybe it's 10,000. Um, but they can still be very successful in their own lane if they hold back just enough to not confuse the listener and set them on a path of, you know, I think I'm going to turn this off because this, because the, yeah, bass player is going nuts. Just like you said, the drummer's going nuts. The singer's going nuts. This is too much for me. Even in jazz, you look at, uh, um, John Coltrane or Miles Davis, the drummer and bass player might be going blitzo, but the recording, you could hardly hear them. And Miles is just singing beautiful melodies on the top. And the drummer and bass player might be playing so crazily, but it's like a sheet of sound, as John Coltrane used to say with his sax solos that were so many notes, he called it a sheet of sound. And it made sense the global scale of things when you sit back and listen to the music it was beautiful even though there was an insane amount of notes and they were the creme of the creme of of, of their of their genre of their time right um i wanted to talk a little bit about like your drumming regiments because you said you'd been playing a lot of drums and you said you uh practice a lot and that you know you, you obviously don't want to get sloppy and stuff like that what is a like a uh, drum practice session look for you uh, look like for you these days? So it depends on my week, depends on what recordings I have. Um, if I have a clear schedule, uh, which is not, which I don't, but if I did, I would try to practice two to four hours a day. Um, that would be hypothetically. Uh, <clears throat> so before I sit down on the kit and bash out a recording, I'll try to do at least three chunks of 20 minutes warm-ups and these are just warm-ups really to get my blood flowing um so i don't cramp up i just did a, a little five minute video at 180 beats per minute that was like metal drum and bass crazy anime stuff super super cool um for this video that's coming out in a couple weeks and <laughs> i sat down the first time and my pants just blew out from playing so hard and so aggressive and so your, your what blew out my hands oh wow like what what happened to your hands so when my hands blow out, it's, it, it's, it's a term that, that I use that they don't actually die. Um, but my muscle right between my fatty muscle, right between my, th my thumb and my forefinger will get really, really tight and tense. And mm -hmm. then I'll have a hard time holding on to the stick. So it's kind of like cramping up basically. And then I'm like, oh man, I'm going to have to do this a different day or at least relax, stretch out, um, so I was talking to Matt McGuire um, from the Chainsmokers, the drummer, and he's like, I, 
he, he has a really specific regimen that he does. He practices on his practice pad for a whole hour before he even gets on the drum kit. And at the time I was like, that's crazy. It's so long. And, and so many drummers will, will just warm up for about five minutes, 10 minutes at the most on the pad, then jump in and play a big gig and go full force on the kit. But what he said did resonate with me. And I've been trying to do that more and more, um, at least climb out of that 25 minute warm up. And now if I can warm up for an hour before I sit on the kit, I can play anything and I won't blow out my, my muscles or cramp up or anything. So that's my goal. So I might not do it every time that, that is what I try to teach. Uh, uh, the few drummers that I do teach, um, like practice, practice, but before you practice, warm up nice and slow. And so he'll do, so, so, so when I was talking to Matt, he'll, he said, I'll just do single strokes at like 120, just like duh, 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 for like 20 minutes and nothing more. And it takes a lot of patience to do that. But what it's doing is it's just really, really slowly warming up your muscles um, in a way so that they don't burn out, so that you don't cramp up. Because once you cramp up, ooh, it's hard. And that cramp could stay with you for an entire show. Um, Like right now, I'm just kind of massaging my my thumb muscles. Um, Right. It's very athletic, I'd say, as a drummer. (laughs) Oh man, yeah, drumming for sure is a really athletic instrument. Um, it seems kind of to me like the theory is sort of a similar theory to exercise, right? Like you don't want to go from sitting at a computer all day to fucking doing sprints. Like you probably want to walk a little bit and then jog a little bit and then maybe do some stretching and then maybe like, you know, walk and jog a little bit more and then maybe you can do some hard exercise, you know? That's it. It's totally athletic. And that you're exactly right. If you're tight, if you just crawl out of bed and start whapping on the drums, you're going to be sore um, or cramp up and just not be able to play that beat at all, especially at the high tempos and mm. high velocity. Spe- speaking of uh, warm-ups and exercise and stuff, are you, are you getting much exercise done during the this time? Yeah, I've been doing four to five miles each day with my dog, Molly. Like running? Yeah, running. We'll, we'll do intervals um we'll do like faster than a jog pace um so i've been doing about eight minute uh miles um which is kind of like a jog but since i since i do the interval um it's a little bit quicker than a jog um and then i rest for about 30 seconds i I think i do a minute and a minute and a half on and 30 second rest man that's crazy you you always have like the sickest like health regimens i feel like every time i hang out with you i'm always like really inspired and impressed by it um like one thing i noticed the few times i've i've stayed with you and hung out with you is that you wake up fairly early you have breakfast which is usually like well at least when i was hanging out with you paleo style breakfast which is basically eggs and meat and salad or something like that and then uh you do intermittent fasting you do built-in sober breaks. You exercise every day. Uh, you are really like driven when you get in the studio. You're like, all right, focus time, no fucking around. Um, and you just do like uh, it's like everything that I feel like I should be doing and don't do. <laughs> yeah, I do do all those things. You're right. We've do, we've spent a lot of time in the studio, um, and uh, it's cool because it's inspiring to kind of 
jump on somebody else's um, schedule and, and regiment, you know, when you, when you collaborate or stay with somebody for a few days or a week or something. Um, most people don't wake up with, with me at 6am and freaking go for a five mile run though. That's not something. That people so that's, is that the first thing you do every day is wake up at 6am and run? Yeah. So I'll do a, a, pl- a plunge. Um, which is I drink lemon water and, and apple cider vinegar, two huge glasses, um, flush it out, and then get my dog ready, put on a bunch of sunscreen because it gets hot here um, early. And then, yeah, we do four to five miles. And there's a little grassy spot that I take my dog to, um, which is a mile. So, so <clears throat> I pause for, for, for a quick doggy poo um, a mile in at the grassy spot. And then the same thing on the way back. Um, so it's, it, but it's, it's, it's really quick. And, um, and I make sure to continue to run the, 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 um, the intermittent runs, um, is, is pretty brutal sometimes, but I, I usually do a big stretch about 10 minutes of hardcore stretching. I'll do some pull-ups, push-ups, squats. Um, and I'm trying to, I try to get out the door at seven right on the dot. That sets me up for my whole day really does. I have to go to bed kind of early though. That's, that's, that's the only issue. I would love to stay up till two, three, four working on music, but my brain is just turned on earlier in the day. And then about five, six or so when I eat dinner, um, it's kind of mushy. And then, um, I do end up doing other things. I'll do a lot of programming, uh, a lot of drum mixing stuff, stuff that doesn't really utilize my brain where I have to, ha- where I really need it to be working really well. Um, More like systematic kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I feel that. I do that sometimes at night as well when I'm smoking weed because I have a lot more patience. So I'm like, uh, you know, just high and like slowly working through this dumb task that I wouldn't want to do any other time. (laughs) I feel like my life is filled with dumb tasks. I don't know. Uh, Yeah, I mean, that's kind of what it is. Like if you um, look at the, what do you call it? The fucking um, Sisyphus, the the... Greek what is it Greek or I don't know it's some philosophy shit anyway this dude Sisyphus um he the story goes he I don't know he was like a guy he got banished to have to push this boulder up this hill and then as soon as the boulder would get to the top of the hill it would roll back down again and he would have to go back down to the bottom of the hill and roll it back up the hill and that was his whole life his whole existence was this because he got like punished or something um and and then a bunch of philosophers, I think it was maybe Camus or I don't know, somebody said we have to imagine Sisyphus as being happy because we're all kind of like Sisyphus, right? We're all just pushing a boulder up a hill all the time. Nice. Yeah. I like that philosophy. I like that story. Um, there's one thing about you, though, that I noticed, like, okay, you know, you might want to have these regiments and 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 <clears throat> systems in place uh, as far as working out and, and practicing and things. But at least from my perspective, you seem to put out a lot of output. You, you seem to finish things uh, uh, no matter how difficult and get them done. And that is very commendable uh, no matter what your systems look like. So obviously you do have systems in place that are working. I think my system is more so just like, so for instance, where you may go and do some exercise or maybe go and run or maybe walk your dog or go like, you know, clean some part of your house or or something like do some life shit. 
if I'm like working on music and I'm just feeling like I can probably finish it that day, I'll just be like, whatever, everything else can wait until tomorrow or whatever. And I'll just finish that piece of music. Um, which is like kind of not good because, you know, I've got like a tax form sitting on my desk that hasn't been paid that I need to go and send to the IRS, which has been sitting here for like fucking two months. And like, you know, there's just shit everywhere in my life that is just not done that needs to be done that I constantly put off for music, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. That's the balancing act with, you know, uh, that everyone faces really. Um, you know, I guess we can, you know, as long as we can, have some sort of output that that is working it's it's a step in the right direction because you know the system that you have in place which is basically fuck everything off i'm going to finish this tune you know if you just lock your studio or lock yourself out of your studio for a day or 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 three days or something like that and say okay my life is going to end if I don't get this freaking tax life shit done. Right, right. Just like do the other tasks for a few days and then sort of, yeah. I guess it's just like, yeah, compartmentalizing time in a slightly different way rather than doing it day by day, just doing it like week by week or something. Or yeah, like instead of being like, all right, I'm going to do two hours of life shit, two hours of music, two hours of something else, etc. Instead, just be like, I'm going to do five days of music and then one or two days of like life shit and then... Yeah, it could be a good diet too. Just don't eat for freaking five days and then Gordon. <laughs> it's intermittent life. Oh, yeah. Um, have you ever, speaking of weird diets, I know you've tried a few. Uh, have you ever tried OMAD, one meal a day? Um, yeah, that's like the warrior diet, right? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I I've, I just know it's, it's like in, the most intense version of intermittent fasting, basically, where you just sort of like eat one meal a day, meaning you're basically fasting for 20 three and a half hours a day and then eating for half an hour and then and the and the the concept i think is you can eat literally whatever the fuck you want in that meal can just you can just eat fucking 1800 calories of chocolate if you want but like um it doesn't matter as long as you're only eating you know however many calories a day 2000 or whatever in a single meal and then just not eating for the rest of the day yeah that's the uh um the warrior's diet that there was also <clears throat> so the soldiers back in the day they would wake up They'd drink a bunch of water and they would go fight um, whatever the war they were, they were in and they would come back and they would feast, um, you know, or, or they would, they would wake up no breakfast and they would go hunt, um, bring back their, their kill and then they would feast on it. So part of that diet is, yeah, you eat one meal a day, but you can feast and gorge yourself, have two burgers, have two steaks, whatever. Um, and then you're stuffed and then you're burning all that calorie, all those calories. And ideally they, 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 they keep on fueling your body all the way until the next meal, all the way until 24 hours later. That's a pretty hardcore diet. My brother was on that for a while. My brother's really fit. He's tried a ton of them. Um, and it's definitely not bad. It's hardcore. The, the issue that I have with a lot of diets is the, the social aspect, um, cooking dinner with my wife, it's, it's just non-existent having lunches with her. If I'm constantly doing these, these messed up diets that aren't in line with her or my friends or anything, it's a little challenging. So, yeah, I feel that as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've tried a few. I mean, I, what I've found works for me the best, like the one that's the most well-rounded for me is, uh, pretty much just intermittent fasting 16 hours a day. That's the one I've found works the best for me. So I just stop eating at like eight. Then I just don't eat again until midday. 
the next day. Yeah, it's not that difficult, especially if you're doing shit. If you're bored as fuck and and you're procrastinating on on anything that you're doing, um, and you're watching a lot of food commercials on Instagram or whatever, mm-hmm. you're gonna potentially break that diet. But if you're locked in and on programming, on producing, um, or just a a bunch of calls, the time will go by pretty fast. You're like, ah. I could eat again already. That was pretty easy and not too bad. Right. Well, I, I find um, <clears throat> for most of the, well, not most of the hours, but like it, it really only feels like a few, like, so I have my last meal at like 7.30 or 8 p.m. Um, and then I really only have to deal with fasting from whatever 8 p.m. when I'm pretty full from dinner until like 2 a.m. when I go to bed. So that's six hours and I don't really get that hungry by then. Um, and then I go to sleep. And then I pretty much am awake at like 11 a.m. And because I'm when I wake up, I'm just not hungry, really. I just want coffee. So I just drink coffee for an hour and then it's time to eat again. It's super fucking easy. Oh, nice. Yeah, the only thing with me is I have to do my workout. And then usually people freaking gorge themselves after a workout. Uh, that's that's a great time to have your protein intake and everything. Um, but when I work out, I'm usually done by 9 or so. And then I still have several hours that I have to fast, but mm. apparently that's actually really, really good for you. That's what the rock does. And a bunch of other really, really big, healthy guys do. <clears throat> yeah. Interesting. Cause you would think, um, based on all the shit you read and hear about, um, that's when, uh, you'd want to be getting your protein. Cause otherwise you'd just be losing muscle, right? You would think, and that was kind of what people were saying for a while nowadays. Um, like the rock and other people that that they're saying that they really don't eat a whole lot to stay as cut and as lean as they are. So they'll lift weights a freaking ton, but their actual food intake is actually not, not as big as most people think heavily leaning on the protein side um, for most of them. But yeah, they're like no breakfast um, salad with, with meat or whatever. And then a pretty sizable dinner, um, doing the same intermittent fasting um, schedule, basically no breakfast. That seems to work pretty good. Right. Um, Are you, you I mean, obviously you can't go to gyms right now. So um, are you doing anything other than cardio? Like are you lifting? I said, you you said you were doing some pull-ups and some squats and stuff like that. Um, Are you doing any weighted stuff? Yeah, it's mostly body body weight stuff. Uh, The pull-ups, oh man, those are, those are. Those are tough. I can't do, yeah, I can't like. So, you're tall too, so you're uh, dude, lifting a I, lot of weight. I've never done, oh uh, yeah, so I weigh about 250 pounds. So yeah, doing a pull up for me is tough. But uh, I still think if I was 150, I couldn't do one. But maybe that's, I mean, I don't know. When I go to the gym and do like the pull down lat machine thing, I think I do like maybe 100 pounds on that. But I do like reps of 12. So maybe I could do one if I was 150 pounds. That's the idea with the with the the body weight exercises. If you could just do one, then the next day you might be able to do one again. And then in a short amount of time, you could probably do two. And that's the beauty of the pull-up because the pull-up is you're full on. You are, all, all your muscles are, are on and it's a super struggle. And it's, you, your body gets into a, um, I don't know all the technical terms of it, but it's kind of like this flatter, flatter uh, fight stage. And it's really, really taxing on your body, but extremely, extremely good. Most of the guys are super, super ripped, 
will do exercises like burpees um, that are so intense that they'll get the get their bodies uh, up to like eight or nine. I think like let's let, let's say on a scale from zero to one, or I'm sorry, zero to ten. Ten is full on sprint. You're almost dying. Mm-hmm. Um, so most people can only get up to eight or nine. That scale is in is in boxing. I did a lot of boxing, and we would try to push our bodies to to get to a, a nine and then hold at nine and that's just full-on punching the bag or punching someone and then that's um that's called metabolic conditioning right i think so yeah and it's absolutely brutal and people are puking and everything but when you do that oh my god you you burn that they say <clears throat> you burn those calories for another 24 hours um, yeah, it's the same concept with um, high-intensity interval training, right? I mean, essentially, it's the same thing. It's just that you hold it at that nine for a little longer than you would with hit. Yeah, it's basically the same thing, and, but it's not easy to do. That's the thing. <laughs> a lot of like the, the sports marketing guys are like, I know exactly what you need to do. Like, You should not be eating these foods, and I have the perfect exercise for you to look as ripped as I am. And he's like totally shredded. And he's like, all you got to do is is do 20 burpees in a row and then do another 20 burpees in a row holding this kettlebell. I'm like, dude, like, <laughs> that's so hard to do. <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. Yeah, 20 burpees is tough. I mean, I've been, so I've been doing Tabata workouts recently um, with my girlfriend. I basically just take a yoga mat down to the park and we just have an app on my phone called Seconds, um, which is just an interval app. Um, and yeah it's sick and and i just like find tabata workouts on the internet and then go do them um and yeah i find in the 30 seconds that burpees happen i can do like seven and then i'm like i'm i'm fucked (laughs) yeah but how good do you feel after you do that workout i mean definitely better than if i don't do it that's for sure yeah but i yeah i don't know i mean there's definitely workouts that make me feel better i find cardio makes me feel the best but i hate doing it the most yeah um Everyone's different, and I've been following a lot of guys that say weights. Um, as you get older, it's a little harder on your bones to do cardio. So the more weights you do, uh, um, whether it's just your body weight or with actual iron, um, you start to build your mo- your bone mass a little bit more. And a larger bone mass and bone structure um, is usually uh, can create more longevity for your back and create uh, uh, um, more longevity for potential breaks and strains and sprains and things. Mm. But, you know, most people who see, who, who read that or watch that would be like, Oh, no cardio. Perfect. Okay. Um, <laughs> and then don't do it. So I love, I love doing cardio. I love running. I think it's great. Yeah. I, like I said, I like the way it makes me feel like every time I do cardio, I'm like, all right, feel I'm pretty fucking worked out. But every time I do weights, it's almost like I don't feel like I get a workout, but then the next day I'm sore. Whereas cardio is the opposite. It's like, I really feel like I got to work out, but then I'm never sore. So I don't know. I'm obviously a mixture of both as the move. There's this guy on Joe Rogan and he, and he was like, I, sh- I train all my guys um, right up to the point uh, of soreness and we stop. We don't do any more. And Joe's like, so you guys are never sore? He's like, nope, never sore. Oh, I saw this guy. Yeah. Did you? No, he's freaking yeah. brilliant. Yeah. And if you're sore the next day, just like you said, you can't fucking do anything. So you skip your workout. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you're not sore, you do your workout. So he's like, you know, we our guys get like 
you know, 20 more workouts per year or whatever, uh, 52 workouts if, it, if we have to skip a, um, eight, one day a week or something. So in the end, they end up getting more workouts, which they get more training and they potentially can get better, stronger, faster. I'm like, mm. damn, that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. The example he gave was he was like, if you do five pull-ups, uh, well, let's say if you do 20 pull-ups on Monday, but then you're sore from Tuesday through Friday, then you're not going to do any more pull-ups, right? And then by the end of the week, you've done 20 pull-ups. Whereas if you do five pull-ups on Monday and then five on Tuesday, five on Wednesday, five on Thursday, so on, then by the end of the week, you've done 30 pull-ups. So you've done 10 more pull-ups in that week than the person who did the 20 on the Monday or whatever. I am so for <laughs> that system. I think that's great. More people should do that. Every time I get sore, I get kind of pissed. I'm like, damn it. I wanted to do another big leg day, but my legs are shot today from three days ago. <laughs> right, right. Oh, yeah, man. If you do like a big squat day or something like that. So I was, yeah, right before I, all of this COVID stuff happened, I was going to the gym a lot and literally all I was doing was lifting with a personal trainer basically. And I got my squats, my squat weight up quite a lot and my bench weight up quite a lot. And yeah, I was just constantly sore, but it was good i was feeling pretty good i was feeling strong and i feel like feel i feel like um for me the 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 way that i feel the fittest is if i'm strong like if i'm and i i feel like that might be the case for i don't know if that's the case for everyone but for the, for me if i feel strong it just feels like my whole body is supported better it feels like it's almost like my cardio doesn't have to be as good because my body is stronger and therefore it's like easier for, for me to move myself around and shit like for instance um, if I'm weak as hell, like my legs and shit are weak, my core is weak, and I walk up like a really steep hill, it'll like fucking burn me out. Whereas if I'm strong, like my core is really strong, my legs are really strong, walking up a hill is so easy that it doesn't really need like that much. I don't like I'm not required to have such good cardio to, to do that exercise because the exercise itself is just so easy if you're strong, right? That's it. That's what they say. It's kind of like the, uh, the, 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 um, we all have to pick up a baby or pick up a dog in life. That's just kind of what we do. Um, that's We need to have at least the strength to squat down with a straight back and pick up a baby or pick up a dog, whatever they weigh, not very much, you know, 20 pounds or something. And that's why doing some lightweight, at least body weight squats and um, deadlifts and things are so, so good for you. Because um, if you pull a if you pull your back at lifting up your own child, you know, it's like, Oh man, what good are you? Uh, <laughs> but that's, yeah, that's, that's why squats and deadlifts bench. Uh, uh, what's the other one? There's one more, <clears throat> um, the four. Oh, like rows. Yeah. Yeah. You, you're talking about like starting strength, the five by five stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's squats, deadlifts, bench press rows. And I don't know. There might be one more. Yeah. Um, how do you find, because you used to live in Seattle and now you live in LA, how do you find the, the difference between the two? You, you enjoying LA a lot more than Seattle or? Actually, we, we just moved. We are in Nevada now. What? Yeah. Holy shit. So we're three and a half hours from LA. We are in um, Las Vegas. Damn. Dude, I have so many friends moving out there right now. It's weird. Yeah. Um, it's it's crazy when COVID started. Um, it was just nuts. The, the anxiety was, uh, was, was super high. And I was like, Hmm, maybe we'll go someplace, not have any roommates, um, live by ourselves 
and shack up and, and just hunker down and do nothing for a while. Um, there's no reason for me to be like LA is, I love LA. It's amazing. Um, all my friends who lived there and now don't live there, they're like, you should just, you know, use LA for what it's for. Um, and either buy a house there or not. Um, and so I was like, Hmm, I want some place with sun. I want some place that's really affordable. And, uh, Las Vegas was, was the one. Yeah. Right. So, so this was a decision that you made prior to COVID or at the start of COVID? It, it was basically an anxiety decision. Yeah. Um, but we are down here. We're in the desert, uh, in the Southwest <laughs> corner of, of, uh, Las Vegas, Las, the Strip is about 20 minutes away. Everything is about 20 minutes away. It's really, really small here. We're about by the Red Mountains, and the Red Mountains are unbelievable. They're so beautiful. Um, I want to get out there with my bike. It's it's snake, scorpion time. I'm excited to go find some snakes and find some scorpions. I just want to see them. I just want to look at them. Red Mountains is what you call them? The Red awesome. Mountains. I Me, mean, I'm just Google imaging this. Oh, man, they look fucking great. Yeah, it's so Damn. cool. Yeah. Uh, do you, what kind of bike do you have? Like a mountain bike or a motorbike? I got a specialized mountain bike with a shock in the front. Oh, nice. Yeah. Dude, I got a sick e-bike. I've been riding around a bunch lately. What's an e-bike? Like an electric bike. Nice. Those things go pretty fast, don't they? <laughs> yeah. If you're like on a downward hill and you're like pedaling with pedal assist and cranking the throttle, you could probably get it up to like 30 miles an hour. It's like definitely fast when you don't have a fucking chassis around you <laughs> uh, do you ride that from your house to your studio i don't have a studio here because i'm in a uh, san francisco now so um, oh you're in san francisco now yeah i moved here at the yeah i moved here uh january 1st so um yeah i don't have uh, a, a separate studio now i just write music in my lounge room yeah which is it's cool it's pretty cool i don't mind it actually you peel yourself off the bed, grab yourself a cup of coffee, and then you're in your studio. Boom. Yeah, exactly. I kind of, dude, so after doing this um, setup with, like, the studio in my house and shit, I, I kind of don't want to go back to having a separate studio. Like, I thought for a while I wanted it, and at the time I did. And the reason why I was actually kind of depressing, it's really if I look down to the very core of the problem because I didn't want to be around my girlfriend. So I uh, had a separate studio, so I had somewhere to go away from her every day pretty much um and also because i just we had a <clears throat> i don't know there's a bunch of issues in our relationship and i just like didn't have the capacity to work around her it just felt like very draining every or, i don't know anyway i don't want to get into that too much but uh anyway so having that separate studio was sort of for that reason um and you know i also was you know i'm, I'm very susceptible to being a workaholic i think where i just work too much um but I think through having the separate studio space, I kind of figured out how to compartmentalize life from work a lot. And now going back to the home studio setup, I've kind of like, you know, gotten a lot better at being able to leave my work mind space and get into my work mind space and stuff like that. But yeah, I really, really do like waking up and just being in the studio. It's sick because um, the problem I found with having to go to a studio is you have to wake up, you have a shower, you make a coffee, maybe make some eggs, uh, you know, check your emails at home because you're like, I'm just going to get to the studio and check them anyway. I might as well check them here. Um, and by the time you've done all that, it's like two or three hours since you woke up. And 
I mean, for me, the most ideal time to be in the studio is immediately after you wake up with coffee. And the reason, I don't know why why it is, but it's just like, as soon as I wake up, I'm just like in the freshest mind state possible. Um, <clears throat> I'm not super bogged down by like problems that have happened throughout the day yet. Like there's just a, a bunch of shit. Like my brain just feels very clear when I wake up and, um, you know, my ears are very fresh and I don't know, just everything feels a lot more productive if I just start working straight away. Me too. Absolutely. Um, well, minus my workout. Right. I, you, you know what? I, I wish I could change that, but, but I, I've tried to and I can't. So I've tried to pee myself out of the bed um, and go straight to the studio, which is amazing. It's your, my brain is totally fresh. But if I don't do my workout first thing in the morning, then I just don't do it at all. Yeah, I probably, as a result of my style of working on music, only get about two to maybe three workouts a week, which is probably less than I should be doing. I should probably be doing at least five a week. Yeah. Well, with your partner, it's nice to do night workouts too, like if there's a park nearby or like a partner just loves to do yoga at night or something like that. The social aspect of working out, um, especially later in the day, is is real nice and important. Like my brother, whenever I'm in Seattle me, um, visiting him, he likes his his nighttime workouts and I never work out at night. But when I do, we he's like a savage in the freaking gym and he goes to this anytime fitness since we're like the only people in there and get a killer workout. And then I'm like, whoa, I'm ready for bed now. Jeez. Just, and it's just something different. And, and it's, it's quite nice. It's quite, it's, it's a nice change. Right. I find those can go either way. So when I, when I first started exercising, when I was like, maybe I said, so here's a crazy fucking thing. I like never exercise until I was like 24. So like, the f- literally the first like however many years of my life i literally just like sat in my room getting stoned and eating fucking cookies and shit um but yeah so <laughs> i had this partner at the time her name was sophie and she was like you should fucking work out and i was like yeah good point maybe i should so i got like a gym membership and at first i was like very self-conscious about going to the gym like i never wanted to go there because i would be like oh man there's all these people who are like so much better at doing the exercises to me i'm so weak and fat and fucking dumb and gross and like just very like self-deprecating style of thinking so i was always just like fuck going to the gym um so i would go there at like 2 a.m when there was just literally no one there and if there was anyone there like one or two people i would get like mad self-conscious even about that um so i would go there specifically in these times a day when i knew there'd be like no one there um and i would do my workouts then and i found it could go either way it was like i i would either get home and uh, be super pumped from the workout and then not be able to sleep and then end up going to bed at like 8 a.m. Or, or I would be super tired and pass out straight away. Crazy. Go either way. Um, yeah. And you always went by yourself, huh? Uh, yeah. At that, at that time, I was going by myself because my girlfriend at the time was like, fuck that. I'm not going to the gym at 2 a.m. And I was like, that's the only time I'm going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, well, it sounds like you're in a better space now. That's, that's, that's challenging. Um, plus the gym is just filled with freaking sweaty gym rats and, and, you know, it can be, it has its own set of challenges. Well, I always thought that like the people in the gym were like 
you know, going to be sort of very judgmental and like, you know, look at you and if you weren't doing the exercise or as good as them or you weren't lifting as much weight as them or whatever, they'd be like, fucking idiot, you know, get out of my gym, get out of, you know, what are you even doing here sort of thing. But that's obviously not the mentality that anyone has in a gym. Everyone is just there to better themselves and everyone's just trying to improve on their bodies and everyone's just trying to be healthier. And it's like, it's a fucking really positive place to go. Like if you want to go somewhere and like see a bunch of happy people, like a gym is a good place to do that. It really is. They'll stop what they're doing and help you with your workout. Um, congratulate you, like pump you up. Like even if you're freaking lifting 10 pounds, like, like, like your five pounds or nothing, you know, like a big muscly person will go over there and say, Hey, good job, man. You know? Um, yeah, it's a real positive place. I like the gym. Fuck. Yeah. Well, hopefully we can go to a gym at some point. Um, oh man, I can't wait for this shit to, to blow over. I went to Las Vegas earlier this year. Um, in fuck when was it uh february and i just went there for a trip with my partner because i was just interested in checking it out i'd never really checked out las vegas before uh and my buddy ulisail moved there as well um he's like a dubstep guy i'm from disciple uh he moved there and then also my buddy brandon uh thompson who uh did visuals with uh you remember when we did that show together and um yeah, Brand- Brandon did some of our visuals, I think, and Pickles was like running them. Yeah, he just moved to Vegas as well to work with this company called Melt Creative. Um, and I think Melt do like a, a bunch of big stuff for like uh, Yellow Claw and shit like that. Nice. A lot of people live out here. Steve Aoki, um, a lot of the big, big DJs, they have their residencies here. It's like a fraction of the price that LA is. You can get... Uh, like in LA, in LA, what you get for a million dollars? Oh my God! You get here, it's like five times. You have pillars in your in your front of your house, double doors, pool for for four hundred, three hundred grand, and you can't get get yeah. that anywhere. It's crazy. That's why, that's one of the reasons why we left Seattle too. It's just too expensive, mm-hmm. uh, and there wasn't much of a music scene there. Um, yeah i mean there's a lot of industries that just come and take over cities and then kind of get too expensive right so for instance that happened in seattle with um i'm assuming tech right because microsoft is there and like there's a few other big tech companies there and also san francisco the same thing happened as like you know san francisco was an art city originally it seemed like or like you know originally it was like gay communities and artists and uh immigrants from like um the philippines and japan and korea and all that sort of shit and um and hippies yeah hippies and you know taking acid and all that sort of stuff and then it's like they made the city really cool and then it's almost like techies came in and were like whoa what a cool city and then just like sort of gen you know made it too expensive for any any of those kind of people to live here anymore um that's what happened with seattle exactly yeah yeah same same with la to some degree it's kind of like the you know hollywood and the media industry it's sort of like the media hub of the universe is is in LA. So that kind of, you know, rides the prices up a bit for all the people wanting to move there to become actors and models and musicians and all that sort of stuff. Um, so I guess like Nevada is sort of different, especially Las Vegas, because everything is like all the costs there are subsidized by gambling, right? It's like anything there, like roads paid for by probably gambling, fucking restaurants. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. I mean, I don't know. I'm just like spitballing here. I'm not sure if that's the case at all. It seems that way though. Like when I went there, it seemed like everything was really cheap because they want you to be there. They they want everything to be cheap and they want you to stay there because that's when you're going to spend more money on gambling. 
yeah, there's no tax. There's there's no uh, state income tax, and apparently, and there's no <coughs> um, uh, product tax uh, on anything. So you, gas is just what it is. Food is just what the bill is, um, mm. which is pretty awesome. Well, but honestly, we've hardly experienced any of that because we've been here during the shutdown. So we've gone to just some, a couple grocery stores, and that's literally it. Um, so we haven't experienced um vegas quite yet but i have experienced the red mountains and they are freaking beautiful you should come out here stay and hike up in the red mountains yeah man i would love to do that yeah as soon as lockdown's over i think i'm gonna travel a bunch and visit friends and shit and definitely vegas is a place i want to go because yeah now i I obviously want to visit you i would like to see cooper and brandon again so nice i bet they're they're pretty close to me we're all close here in vegas yeah it seems like everyone just lives like 10 or 20 minutes outside of the strip also, I love that the strip is just called Las Vegas. It's hilarious. It's like it's not called like Las Vegas Road or Las Vegas Strip or Las Vegas Street. It's, it's literally just called Las Vegas. <laughs> I guess the governor, she's a crazy person, I guess. And she's like, we ha- or the mayor or something like that. Um, she's like, we have to open. She's like, we, we, we can't shut down anymore. We must get these casinos open. Or uh, you know what you could do to solve the problem is just charge a little bit of tax. Right, <laughs> yeah. Oh man! Hey, I'm used to paying tax. What the hell? <laughs> Any different for me? Yeah, it's like why risk the health of everybody because you can't subsidize all the costs with gambling anymore? Like, just change the rules for a bit and charge some tax. But then that's the thing, right? Is if they figure out they can charge tax, they'll just keep it that way after the shutdown, and then you still, you know, who the fuck knows? I know, man. All they needed to do is just say, is just put a pause. In my opinion, just put a pause on rent on mortgages, on everything. Because, you know, once it's in the bank, it's just freaking numbers. They could tack on a a zero or a three or they could change any freaking number. It doesn't matter uh, once it's in the bank system. So they just pause every freaking thing and no no one goes out of business. Just freaking pause it. And people just use their money that they have for food. That's it. All bills on pause. I think that would be incredible. But no, our government's fucked. Yeah. I mean, I think they're trying to mitigate... A lot of stuff as is, let alone putting all the bills on pause. They're saying the economy's fucked and all that shit. Um, I don't know how much of that is like the. I mean, obviously, shitloads of people are out of jobs, which is terrible. So yeah, I, I do agree though. For all the people who are out of jobs, they shouldn't. You know, it's not their fault that they're out of jobs, and they shouldn't be. You know, uh, having to defer huge amounts of payments to the future just to be indebted when they shouldn't be in, indebted. Um, or in debt rather just because of this whole pandemic thing yeah i agree with you i think like in that in those cases bills should be paused yeah and uh, it's a mortgage just just tack on three four months five months whatever <laughs> defer it to and tack it on the end of the mortgage or the loan yeah but that's the thing right it's just like if it gets deferred to like the end of the loan which is which is what a lot of people are doing is they're deferring um you know rent payments and mortgage payments and stuff it's not like the payment goes away it's just you have to pay it later which is otherwise known as debt right so you're just incurring debt that's true and that sucks yeah like i see all these ads oh get your small business loan i'm like oh my god the last thing people want to do is have no income and go into more debt so i guess you're mm-hmm. you're right that deferring is just acquiring more debt which is fucking terrible it's the worst because then what happens when you have the debt is you pay interest on it so it's like not only are you accruing all of this debt 
but you're actually losing even more money in the future because, you know, let's say you defer or spend however much, like, you know, 10, 10 grand, you, 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 you get loaned 10 grand or you defer 10 grand or whatever. I mean, with a deferment, it's different. But with a loan, let's say you get loaned 10 grand and then you can't actually afford to make payments on that for like two or three years because you have to pay all these deferred rents and bills and whatnot before you can get to that debt then what's going to happen is um by the time you get around to paying that it's 20 grand that you have to pay back you know so it's it's really like this whole thing is just costing you more yeah it's so strange what a predicament we're in well yeah i mean it's not really a predicament the, the predicament is human greed right which is pretty fucking prevalent fuck yeah man well um it's been I mean, nice to talk to you my man yeah man it's, it's sick to have you on and um yeah, I really appreciate you doing it. And uh, where can people go find all your stuff? So you can go to kjsaka.com and I'm kjsaka on all social media. Um, I'm pretty easy to find. And if anybody wants to be answer or, or ask me questions, you can hit me up on Twitter to get a sarcastic comment or you can <laughs> get a more serious comment on Instagram or whatever. Um, yep, that's where you can find me. Fuck yeah, man. Well, thanks again. All right, Bill. Well, you have a great day and uh, be in touch. Yeah, you too, man. All right, my man. Hey, thanks for listening to the Mr. Bill podcast. These episodes are edited and uploaded twice a week by Robert Fumo of 303podpro.com. You can also support the show, get early access to episodes and hear bonus content by going to patreon.com forward slash Mr. Bill's Tunes and becoming a patron. Uh, please rate and review on iTunes unless you're going to be a little shit about it. And all the links to my various platforms are at mrbillstunes.com. Thank you. Hello, hello.